Hello there and welcome to Market, a podcast that explores the dynamic world of marketing, community, and culture, and explores how these elements intersect to build amazing brands. This is a show where we talk to marketers about their journeys and their secrets to success. Before we begin today's episode, we wanted to remind you to head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe to Market, so you get notified when episodes go live. This podcast is brought to you by Right Sleeve, an award-winning promotional products agency located in the heart of Toronto. We believe in the power of branded merchandise to create emotional connections with brands. So connect with us online at rightsleeve.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Right Sleeve. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Sarah Stockdale, principal at Stockdale Growth Consulting, and until very recently, the director of community growth at Tilt, which was acquired by Airbnb. I'm Riel Upton, Marketing Manager at Rightsleeve. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Market, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so one of the first few questions that we always ask people who come here is, I mean, you're the third guest, but we always ask people what's their story, how they got to where they are today. So why don't you take us through your story, give us a brief introduction. Totally. So hey, I'm Sarah Stockdale. Um, I recently started my own boutique growth consulting company called Stockdale Consulting, and uh, I'm also starting some other, a couple of other projects that I'll be announcing in the next couple of months. Um, my story is actually, I feel like a lot of people who work in growth marketing for early stage tech companies, they, you know, we all got here accidentally. This isn't something that, you know, people go to university for, at least not when I was in school. Um, so when I graduated, I graduated with a master's in professional communications from Ryerson, and I was going to take a job at a big PR company. And I was excited about it. It was on Bay Street. It was cool. It was exactly the path that I thought I was supposed to go down. And a friend of mine was like, can you please just come meet my boss? She was working at an accounting software company, which I didn't know anything about. Um, and it was in a basement with like 20 people. So I, to humor her, I went for the coffee and kind of fell in love with the way that they were, the way they were starting their business, the way that they were running things. And even though I didn't have any experience uh, in marketing or growth for an early stage startup, they gave me a shot, which was incredible. Um, and so that they ended up raising um, quite a bit of money from uh, social capital in the next couple of months. And that's how I accidentally started um, my career in startups. And that was Wave Accounting. That was Wave, yeah. They're just getting started. Um, super cool, super smart team. It was really fun. And where have you been since then? So I stayed, I worked at Wave for two years, uh, the first two years of my career at a startup, and then I got DM'd on Twitter uh, by my future boss at Tilt. So I started at Tilt when it was called Crowd Tilt. It was, I think, 30 people when I joined. I was one of the first international hires. Uh, Canada was a complete growth experiment for them. So they were like, let's put three people in a closet in Canada and just see what happens. And if this international thing works, we'll run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, you know, given a closet and uh, a couple of smart people. And we launched what was then Crowd Tilt in Canada and then grew it um, through a lot of different channels. But specifically, we worked with student ambassadors on mm-hmm. university campuses um, and then launched in the UK, in Australia, in France, Netherlands, the Nordics, um, and Ireland. And what was your role at Tilt? So it started out as Growth for Canada. So okay. basically an experimental role to see if we could grow via international. 
um, launched that, grew Canada, we created a pretty incredible team in Toronto, and then I moved on to working on the global business. So I took over uh, the community growth side of the business, so all of our ambassador work on university campuses in uh, six or seven countries. I have this little wallet thing that I think the Tilt team put together the with the TDC map. <laughs> yep, yeah, that was my old boss, Tim Ryan, that was his idea. It was a fun little experiment. I was pretty new to Canada when I first got that. I still have it, oh and my it's God. not like tattered and torn. So good job on the quality. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, <laughs> that's know. so awesome. So how did you come up with an idea like that? Like, why did you want to do that as a that specific example as a community building activity? So basically, we were just looking. Uh, it was kind of a press hacking idea. Okay. So we were looking at ways to get a little bit of press for Crowd Tilt at the time, mm-hmm. and Tim came up with like, "Hey, everyone loves anything to do with the TTC." or anything that's like hyper Canadiana. So we were able to get that in Blotio and a couple of like local Toronto publications and basically it was just a brand building exercise. Like Got it. Let's see if we can get some press. That's awesome. And tell us a little bit more about Stockdale Consulting and what that entails and, you know, what's next for you. Totally. Um, so I think one of the things that I found when I was going to events with people like you and uh, <laughs> and kind of uh, working with startups in the space in an advisory or a um, in a mentorship role, a lot of people would ask for for my time just to help with their business or to look over their marketing plan or their 90, 60, 90 day strategy. Um, And it's a gap that I saw in the market. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of people who have done a lot of growth work in Toronto. And there's a lot of exciting, interesting businesses that are cropping up. I know, you know, we've talked about this in the last couple of years, this space has started to boom. And it was not, um, you know, it was definitely not like this five years ago. So I just saw a little bit of a gap in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was recently acquired by Airbnb, which was pretty exciting. Um, so I decided instead of going to work for a big, amazing company, admittedly, but a very big tech company that I wanted to start something myself. Mm-hmm. And I just saw kind of growth consultancy as a gap in the market in Toronto mm-hmm. and a way that I could help. Just out of curiosity, like why, uh, you know, starting your own business is a big decision. Yeah. <laughs> you could have chosen to stick it out with like you know maybe moved on to airbnb so what was that decision like what was your thought process to kind of like okay i'm gonna do and you know go and do this and launch my own business totally well it was it was scary um it still is scary i think it never stops being scary i've talked to a couple of my friends who are founders of businesses about this um but i caught the bug i've been around entrepreneurs for the last seven years um and I, to be honest with you, I've been working my butt off. <laughs> I've been just grinding and hustling for the last long time, and I was looking for a little bit more balance. I want to go to the, I want to go to yoga in the afternoon on Tuesday, and this will allow me to do that. Um, and it'll also allow me to work with more than one incredible entrepreneur, so I get to, you know, see what the space is like mm-hmm. in Toronto now. So you're hoping for a work-life balance. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> um, so somebody on Twitter asked us, I mean, that's with the same line of thought as what we're talking about right now, is what is it like to jump from having a stable full-time gig to being an influencer who has to build a new brand, a new company, and a name for themselves? Okay. And does your brand as Sarah Stockdale help you build your business? Or do you, like, is it totally starting from scratch? <laughs> I've, I've been really lucky, to okay. be honest. Um, I have, you know, wonderful people in the 
tech and tech scene in Toronto, but also in San Francisco, who have been incredibly helpful getting you know the process off the ground mentors advisors people introducing me to incredible startups so I feel like I've been very lucky in this process she also works really really hard (laughs) I work very hard yeah but um but people have been phenomenally helpful and wonderful and just generous with their time Mm -hmm. um it is terrifying for sure absolutely very scary but I've always liked building things from nothing that's the first two companies um that I started with were you know I started under 50 people I was always kind of right at the beginning um I like to build so I just get to build for myself which is scary but it's also really exciting and how long have you been thinking about having this own consulting company (laughs) girl forever um for a very long time I've been annoying uh I've been annoying friends and mentors with this idea for a long time um And there's also a couple of things in kind of the tech education space that I've been interested in for a long time that I'm going to be dipping my toes into. That's awesome. um, That I'm really excited about. And we're excited for you. I mean, I am excited for you. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. So, you know, we've talked about your career and how it's moved from communications. You said you went to Ryerson for a communications, professional communications degree. What is that? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Why it it um, sounds so formal, professional communications. <laughs> it does sound really formal. So I, I started um, education at Laurier, so I okay. did my undergrad in English and communications. And when I graduated, I didn't feel like I was useful. Um, okay. To be that's honest, not a good I, like, I could have written you a really great essay, but like I didn't know what else. I was okay. supposed to ask people for money to do. So that's why I went to Ryerson. It's a, more of like a hands-on okay. school. Um, did their professional communication master's program. It was amazing. It was still a lot of writing. I was still felt pretty useless when I graduated and had to kind of hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, what I realized is, you know, when you end your formal education process, yeah. that's when you actually start learning. So I almost wish I had ended my formal education <laughs> earlier so I could yeah. have started learning. Um, <laughs> But I feel like people kind of put their life into phases. This mm-hmm. is your learn phase, and then this is your work phase. Yeah. Um, and really, they're they're just one giant learn phase. Okay. Um, so if you're you know if you're worried about what degree you're getting, or if you're worried yeah. you're not going to get a job at a startup, that's you know it's kind of irrelevant. You have to get out yeah. here and show that you can build something. Yeah. So you talked to us about the story of like you meeting the team at Wave, but. Were you ever, like, scared that, oh, my God, I did a communications degree and now I'm going to be a growth person, whatever that means? <laughs> and also, like, n- keeping in mind that when you started working at Wave, which was about five years ago now, mm-hmm. um, growth was still a very, like, it was a very buzzwordy kind of, it was a buzzword. Yeah, totally Let's it was. call growth it what it was. is still a buzzword, um, still a buzz term. Yeah, it was terrifying. To be honest, I there was a steep learning curve. So I was non-technical when uh-huh. I started. Um, I had to learn, you know, I had to learn how to code. I had to learn how to work with engineers. Um, I had to learn what growth was and how it could be applied to different kinds of startups. Um, I worked with a whole bunch of different um, amazing, um, incredible early kind of teachers. So one of the guys who heads up uh, data analytics out of um, Seattle for Microsoft. He was one of my first friends, um, and I learned a ton from him. There was an, a lot of amazing engineers who lent me their time, mm-hmm. so I was able to get up to speed. I was also, as you were when you were starting out of the space, I was going yeah, to I events, no idea. going to events every night of the week, yeah. trying to meet people, trying to learn more. So, um, and I met you at an event. Yeah, yeah, we met at an event you hosted, ages ago. 
Yeah, you hosted Girls in Tech Toronto at the Wave office. Oh my god, that uh, barbecue on your <laughs> rooftop patio. That was amazing. I still like talk about it. Oh man, that space was awesome. We we struggled to get people out to Leslieville, so we would like lure them with that patio. So talk to us about influencer marketing. Totally. What is it? How did you get, you know, involved in it? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned so far? Yeah, so for me, influencer marketing, um, I've kind of learned about it uh, by accident. Hmm. So working at Tilt, we were focused on a university student demographic. Um, college students care if you don't pay them back 10 bucks for the internet bill. That is something that they will think about and worry about. So we were solving that problem for them. Um, and we needed students to get excited about a payments app. Um, which is challenging. It was basically getting students to evangelize a bank. Um, and Why that student demographic, though? Because, so Tilt was a couple of things, but what we started out with was a group payments platform. Okay. So you were able to collect money from a whole bunch of different people at once. And while you and I might do that for like a cottage weekend mm-hmm. or like, you know, summer trip or something. So fancy. <laughs> university <laughs> students are doing it. You know, they're doing it for keggers. They're doing it for their internet bills with their roommates. Like they're the people who are, you know, they live for sure with a tiny group of their friends. And Ten bucks around people. is two meals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're a student, you care if you don't get paid back that money. So they were just the demographic that was using Tilt constantly. So it was like more of an organic kind of, you know. We tried a whole bunch of different, um, a whole bunch of different target markets and students just, A, they were, you know, innovators in the fact that they were willing to put their credit card into this thing called CrowdTilt. And B, they were just collecting money with their friends way more often than people who were in their later 20s were. Okay. And so you started out doing influencer marketing to them. How do you, you know, a lot of brands try to do influencer marketing, but then mm-hmm. people like fall off the bandwagon or totally. they're like not interested. How did you keep that interest alive? Um, so it was hard. Like at the very beginning, I was, you know, I brought on a bunch of people that I babysat. Like I was just looking for people oh, wow. who were like still undergraduate students and we were getting really scrappy about it. And I was lucky to find a couple of amazing influencers, right, kind of early, early days who helped me build it. Um, But you need to connect in a very human way with your audience. So a lot of the time people, you know, ask me about random products. Hey, should we have an ambassador team? Should we have, um, should we have an influencer marketing program? And it really is like, do you have a story that is human enough Mm -hmm. that will create enough excitement and connection with potential influencers that they're going to evangelize your brand. Like we had students for Tilt taking Tilt flags up Kilimanjaro. We had a guy get a tattoo. We had a kid create a headboard out of our logo. Um, People were really excited about what we were doing and that's because we crafted a story that was very powerful and could connect with students, um, which is that we were gonna change the way that people and money and relationships um, happened and we had a lot of interesting case studies yeah. of there is a there is a, a guy in Oakland who crowdfunded private security for his neighborhood and dropped oh, wow. the crime rate and that created a viral effect in different neighborhoods and dropped crime rate we had really interesting stories that we could get people excited about yeah and do you think that that's because that tilt was able to do this because it had already built a very strong brand 
we kind of built our brand with the students, to be honest with you. They okay. had no idea who we were. Like, when we landed in Canada and we were putting out Facebook ads of this thing called CrowdTilt, like, we had no brand equity in the space oh, wow. at all. Like, no one knew who we were. Um, we had to, we built it from scratch. Um, and by the time Airbnb, Airbnb acquired us, we had 1,500 uh, Canadian student ambassadors and 5,000 global ambassadors um, on our program who were driving most of the growth for the company. That's amazing. It's really fun. Wow, okay. Because, I mean, I know for, for a fact that a lot of brands and startups have difficulty launching successful influencer programs, right? Yeah. So someone on Twitter also asked us that how do you build a successful influencer program around software? Are there some tips that yeah. you can share, like two tips that you think are really, really important? Um, one is you have to have a powerful story that will you know, get attention from people. You can't just ask people to evangelize your food delivery app and Mm -hmm. hope that they're going to care enough about that story. (laughs) They're going to, like, get behind it. You need to have an interesting, compelling story, Mm -hmm. and then you need to tell it to humans as quickly and as much as possible and then automate and scale that process. But at the beginning, it was about developing relationships with these students and then scaling out (laughs) the ways that we developed in-person relationships at the beginning, you know, across the country and across the globe. Um, But it's a lot of hard work, and it will always... There's no, like, quick fix or quick hack when it comes to getting people to become diehard supporters of your brand. You need to just do that work. Are there... So are there resources uh, that you can point people towards where they can learn more about girl hacking or influencer (laughs) marketing? I hope this is not one of the questions you hate being asked. No, it's not. Um, I... You know what? I struggle with this question a lot. There's some books that I love, um, and none of them are specifically about um, growth hacking or, or growth marketing. So... Um, how to win friends and influence people is just a general good primer on how to create interesting relationships and then you know you can take some of those learnings and apply them to the digital space Um, Ben Horowitz is the hard thing about hard things Mm -hmm. I love I'm going to be writing um, something on influencer marketing I'm calling it a ebook I don't know if it's going to be an ebook but I'm writing something on influencer marketing because when I was looking there wasn't a lot of resources so I'm going to try to help create some of those things got it okay all right so how has the landscape changed in the past few years that you've been in the industry whether you can answer this question from the point of view of like the marketing landscape changing or if you want to delve deeper into the growth hacking space changing (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think when I when I started, and probably when you started too, no one was all that interested in the fact that I worked at a startup. People mm-hmm. just thought I was, you know, especially when I was working in accounting software, people were like, what is that? Like, there was no cool factor to working at a startup. No one knew what growth was. No one had heard the term growth hacking. Um, what I did was very niche and confusing to most people yeah. and, like, not interesting. Um, now I find it's almost, like, too interesting so you know every student I meet wants to work at a startup when they graduate they all are calling themselves growth hackers they're all reading all of these materials which is phenomenal for the space Um, it's just starting to boom in Canada which is great Um, but I do think people underestimate how hard that gig is and how much work goes into learning um, what you need to do to be great at it which is the same with product management. I feel like I talk to a lot of people who want to be PMs, but yeah. don't really necessarily understand the job. So there's a lot of good press, I think, for what we do. Um, and it just, I think it needs to translate to better education. Okay. 
Yeah. So what's the difference between growth hacking and community building? Because I meet people who are, call themselves growth hackers, but essentially what they're doing is building communities. Yeah. What's the difference? I think, you know, growth hacking, a lot of it is building communities um, in an automated and scalable way. Mm-hmm. So where, you know, some community managers or community people might have local events where they bring a lot of people together and they build those relationships what you have to do to grow a startup is do that at a rapid pace constantly and you know use any resources that you have available to you on the product or engineering side mm-hmm. to do so. Um, so you take what is you know an incredible authentic connection that you can have with a user and then find ways to have that same level of authentic connection with as many users as possible as quickly as possible. Um, and you can do that through the product, you can do that through um, you know to more top of funnel kind of advertising. But it's it's very similar. Um, the skill sets are very similar. You just you know you take it to a more technical space when you go into growth hacking. What are two questions you hate being asked when it comes to growth hacking, influencer marketing, or just marketing in general? Because yeah. you have quite you've had quite the career, so I'm sure people come up to you for advice, and I've heard you in a lot of panels. Um, so there uh, must be questions that you're like, oh my god, not again. <laughs> Uh, I think one of the things, and I think this is one of the problems with the term growth hacking that people hate, is the word hack means, you know, so many different things, but what it can mean is, like, quick fix. So I get a lot of, like, oh, what, like, fast hacks can I use to grow my startup? Like, what have you used that have worked really well? And, like, I don't know your startup, I don't know your space, I don't know, you know, your stage. It's really hard to give you any sort of, you know, super broad, super general yeah. advice that'll be useful in any way to you. But also, there are no quick fixes when it comes to growth. Um, you know, people talk about how Airbnb did that Kijiji hack where they like messaged a whole bunch of people on Kijiji or Craigslist who were selling or were renting out their apartments. That is an incredible growth hack. But that is probably one of a thousand things they tried over a three month period um, that didn't, you know, one of a thousand things worked. Yeah. There are no quick fixes for your business. Um, no one has ever found that to be true. Growth hacking or growth marketing is challenging. It requires resilience. It requires constant experimentation, aggressive measurement. Um, you know, you need that kind of person who, you know, they come up against a wall and they find a window or they find a way to break down that wall. They don't give up very easily at all. Um, and you know, the term hack doesn't really work when you're talking about mm-hmm. creating sustainable growth levers that compound over time. So that's one. What's the second oh, question? The second one? <laughs> oh my gosh. Anything general about social media? What should I do with social media? When people say the term social media, like they, they're talking about so many channels. They're talking about so many different, you know, ways of marketing and communicating to users. And it's, again, it's just too broad. It's too general. It's not a useful question, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Marketing yourself versus marketing for a brand. Yeah. Similarities, differences. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, I think marketing yourself really is about relationships. It's Mm -hmm. about adding value to people um, as much as you possibly can. And, you know, sometimes that means giving a lot of your time away, which I've done, you've done, we're, you know, we're all in the business of that. Yeah. but I think your personal brand is about authentic value-added relationships that you can have with as many you know interesting people in your industry as you can, um, and then you know any opportunity that you get to 
help in a more public way is always helpful. So if mm-hmm. you can, you know, speak on a panel or if you can speak in an event or help with a student conference, um, that will help you just kind of build your rapport. Um, with the startup, it's very, you know, it's very specific to the product and the field. Um, you, you know, you have to look at, you know, what market makes the most sense for your product. Um, what's the return on investment from super specific user groups? How mm-hmm. quickly can you, um, can you build that brand with that audience? But again, it's about relationships. It's just on mass versus one on one. Yeah. Um, in both cases. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question. So you have worked with big startups, you've worked with Canadian startups, you've worked with US startups, and we yeah. talked about how this question is asked a lot, but <laughs> it's a good I, one though. But I feel like a lot of people in the industry and the community are still interested in this topic. What was the difference between working for a, such a homegrown Canadian startup versus working for a US based startup? Yeah. Budget definitely. differences? <laughs> Definitely budget differences. <laughs> um, I find Canadian startups are more conservative, which mm-hmm. can be really great when it comes to wisely spending investment money. It can also be a hindrance when it comes to how much fire to pour on growth, how many risks that you allow your team to make. I find we're very risk averse as Canadians, um, mm-hmm. very conservative, which you know is a benefit, but it's also a drawback in some ways when you should be taking big bets and you know you're choosing not to spend that money or or hire those um, people. With Silicon Valley companies, I you know it's all the things that you see um, you see on the HBO show. So <laughs> there there's a Sonos in the bathroom. There's like five different types of like raspberry mango pineapple vitamin waters in the fridge it's yeah it's um it's a lot especially when you've worked for a company that you know there's dunkaroos in the in the cupboard maybe um, but now you're getting all of your meals um and you know all of this you you see all of this um kind of this like wealth of resources that happen with the u.s yeah. and the ability to take bigger risks um and to spend more money but i did find internationally we were we still acted like Canadians. We uh, kept our budgets low. So if you could work for any company in the world, <laughs> not the ones you've already worked for, who would it be and why? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm going to answer it kind of strangely, I think, maybe. I think I'd have to make a career change in order to actually work for this company. But since I was a kid, I've wanted to work for Pixar. Um, I think in another life, I'd be writing stories for, mm-hmm. like, cool animated features um it's just an incredibly creative space um and i would love to be a part of that kind of like childlike wonder creativity it's awesome what's your favorite pixar movie oh that's such a hard question i have so many that i love my favorite right now is moana i just watched it it's incredible i haven't seen it yet don't spoil it oh my gosh you need to watch it it's amazing um yeah i i love everything they do Awesome. Um, if you could have brunch with one marketer, growth hacker, influencer, <laughs> I feel like I have to say that over and over again. Um, who would it be and why? Yeah, I. Um, that's a really good question. Dead or alive? Dead or alive. Oh my gosh. No, alive. Very much alive. Um, Alex Schultz, who's the VP of growth at Facebook, um, he came in and spoke at Tilt and he was incredible. He was extremely um, just focused and bright and um, 
had a really great warm energy, but was also very focused on retention, which I think is a, a piece of growth marketing that people don't focus on enough or think about for their company. Yeah. Um, and I've just, I've listened to him speak. I've watched tutorials where he's taught classes. I just think he's someone that, you know, we can all learn a lot from in this space in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming to the end of the podcast. The question I have next for you is if there's any advice you could give to people who are starting out in the industry, what would it be? Um, I would say a couple of things. One is don't limit yourself based on what you went to school for. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a talk called What Do You Do with a BA in English? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you went to school for, but it does matter how hard you're willing to work and how much you're willing to learn outside of that formal education. So hustle hustle, take jobs, prove you can build something. I've had Rotman MBAs ask me, you know, how do I get a job at a startup? And I don't care about the MBA. I care if uh, you can show me something that you've built from nothing. That is the most important skill that you can have. Um, So build as much as you can and invest time in people. So get out, meet as many people as you possibly can. And really add value to those relationships. Networking shouldn't be something that's like a surface level, yeah. shallow end kind of conversation. Oh God, I 100% agree with you, that. You know, you need to build authentic real connection to people. You need to add value to their experience yeah. and you can't be crappy about it. Don't, don't just, just go. Yeah, <laughs> don't just discard. Precisely. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Don't just collect business cards. It's not like a competition. Like even if I feel like even if you can establish two great connections at an yeah. event that you went to that's more than enough absolutely rather than 100 business cards that you collected at a conference that's not what, what are you going to do with all of those business cards that's you've added no value to the experience yeah. of those add them all people. on linkedin oh yeah. don't do that don't yeah. don't add everyone on linkedin to unless you know them um or unless you you know you send an authentic note yeah and really you for know, sure any advice for future sarah Sarah. Um, I think it's just, especially being women in tech, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of imposter syndrome. A lot of imposter syndrome. Um, You're preaching to the choir here. (laughs) Yep, girl. So just, I think, you know, we all just have to be a little bit more brave. Take some more risks. That's great advice. I'm like, I didn't ask you this question before, so, you know. Yeah. Um, Okay, so where can people find you online, offline? I mean, offline's a little creepy. Where can (laughs) they find (laughs) you? Please don't come find me online unless we know each other. That's kind of weird. Um, No, I'm at sarahstockdale.ca. My Twitter handle's skstock. I'm on Medium under my own name. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the podcast. This is so so much much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. This podcast is brought to you by Right Sleep, an award-winning promotional products agency located in the heart of Toronto. We believe in the power of branded merchandise to create emotional connections with brands. So connect with us online at rightsleep.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Right Sleep.